Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny podcast. This is your co-host, Stephen Spector, and with me as usual is Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. How are you doing, Rob? Hello, Stephen. I'm good. My bags are packed, and I'm ready to go. Uh-oh, where are you going? Your Coupon bags are packed. KubeCon is coming up. KubeCon. So Us, me, and, me, and, me and 11,999 other. Is that how uh, big it is now? Believe it or not, yeah. Wow. That's what they're claiming. That is huge. Well, since it's coming up, your bags is packed. We have a, a guest who's going to uh, join us, and I'll introduce him in a second. But this will be a KubeCon preview. I know we've done uh, post-event wrap-ups, but kind of exciting to do a pre-event wrap-up. And uh, so let me go ahead and introduce, he's been on before, Chris Short, who um, is the Principal Technical Marketing Manager at Red Hat. He's a Cloud Native Ambassador. And he writes the uh, DevOpish and oh, something called Cube Weekly, which I have not read Cube Weekly. So, Chris, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, you may have the longest set of titles. We've had people with one long title, but sorry, doing multiple things. So, do you? Um, I wear many hats at Red Hat. Yes. So, are there three of you then? When you go to work, you have two more clones doing. Well, I work, work from home, so maybe. <laughs> well, Never know. well the three of us all here work from home i guess we're the uh exempt we are exactly why people work from home i don't have to drive my car to avoid us that's exactly that's right that's why <laughs> well i've got nine inches of snow on the ground outside so that's why wow. i'm not driving today but wow. i mean i wouldn't drive to the office anyway i don't have one um but yes i have at least a good excuse for not driving where are you located chris uh, i'm just north of detroit like right on the edge of the detroit metro area Wow, that's a, I mean, is this early to have that much snow? It's very early to have this much snow. This broke uh, the record from like 1940 something, I think. Uh, yeah, at Detroit Metro, it was pretty pretty deep. Does does the city shut down? I mean, like when Atlanta um, gets a little well, ice, they shut down. Nine inches is just a lot in general. It'll right. slow down and stop in certain parts. Um, but this is really early in the year, so yeah, like everything pretty much came to a halt yesterday, and then today things are pretty slow moving. All right, well, Rob, I've I've done my pre pre webinar uh, uh, pre excuse me pre podcast banter and uh, <laughs> brought, brought in uh, Chris. Face, so you're tossing you're tossing the ball to me. So yeah, well, I, why don't you get us? started and I'll jump in with questions I'm you know the the, the show is in San is in San Diego so I'm a little depressed I'm not going because I do like maybe, San Diego maybe maybe we won't have nine inches of snow so so Chris I, <laughs> I want to talk about KubeCon but I think it would be really helpful um, and I would love to give you a chance to promote the DevOpsish and the weekly pot, Kubernetes stuff like mm -hmm. your, your community presence is is really great um, and well, thank, thank you. you for that I appreciate um, that uh, so laid out Cube Weekly is uh, a CNCF uh, newsletter that I help uh, contribute with every week, right? So uh, they've been doing, we've, uh, the, my newsletter and the Cube Weekly newsletter are about the same age. So uh, the content kind of overlaps since, you know, they're talking about cloud native stuff and I'm talking about cloud native stuff. So it was naturally for me to contribute to Cube Weekly. Um, so, but DevOpsish is a newsletter I started up in late 2016. It covers open source news, DevOps news, and cloud native news. 
and then some industry news and I will touch on some geopolitics type stuff because there is some overlap there with everything going on with Huawei and you know working in open source and now I have contributors that are from mainland China how do I work with them now do can I work with them like those questions had to be answered at certain points in time throughout the life cycle of the newsletter so touching on those issues I think are important but explaining the why behind that too because I do have a unique background in the military and working in intelligence and communication spheres within you know that paradigm for a decade so there is some background there that I have that is helpful in today's context in that regard. So providing that through the newsletter, I think has been, you know, somewhat helpful to a lot of people. And for me, it's just a great outlet because I do have to read all this stuff for my job, for, you know, my hobbies and why not share it with everyone? Do you have a curation, like some goals you have from, you know, what do you find interesting? How do you, how do you pick up new material? Mm. Because I, I like what you're doing. You're finding you're finding great links, but you're also usually providing some snippet. Um, and, yeah. And so I mean, I actually read everything that I share. So it's um, like a lot of people like find some stuff, and uh, you know, like they have a small newsletter. Like I have a very big newsletter because I read yeah. a lot of news, and um, I picked up those skills just you know naturally through work in the military. So. Um, now it's just like a hobby. I just read tech news all the time and I'll actually share it's that signal, on Signals intelligence for, right, uh, like, for the I Kubernetes get, and, and DevOps groups. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like I, yeah, I had to pick like a certain arena, right? Like, <laughs> I can do so DevOps. Are you a I can spy, Chris? Cloud native. I'm not a spy, but I do <laughs> a lot of reading. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I did a lot of reading back then too. Um, and the, the idea of... Um, you know, like having all that knowledge, like just within myself, I felt like wasn't like a good, like open source community, like member thing. Mm. So might as well share it with everybody. And then, you know, as put packaging it all up as a newsletter, originally I was just sharing it on social media. I still do that, but now I'm packaging it up as a newsletter and I'm able to get something back out of it with you know, sponsorship. And, and I... And if people don't use Telegram, I love, I'm a big Telegram fan, but you actually have a Telegram channel yeah. that's really active. Um, and yeah, so, you, know, um, you curate there too. Yeah, so I, uh, I think almost a year ago now, I said, well, there might as well be like a chat room for this group because I don't want to do like a forum. I want there to be some like real-time feedback capability. I didn't want to do a Slack channel because everybody has a thousand of those. And the only other thing that I could think of was Telegram at the time. Um, and actually, yeah, there, I think there's like 400, 500 members in there right now, you know, any given moment, there'll be 10 to 15 of us online. So if you like drop a question in there, you're generally going to get an answer or, you know, if you have like a, a link that you want to share, people will talk about it. It's pretty cool. Um, and that's just kind of just grown naturally. I don't really promote it outside of the newsletter, uh, other than on Twitter. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like watching it. I've, it's, you know, it's one of those interesting things that can be hard to get a conversation going because of the format. Mm. Um, yeah, but, but, uh, it's, it's really useful. And so in my, in my mind, there's usually, you know, linkers and thinkers, right? Your newsletter puts you in the linker category, mm -hmm. but you're, you're reading it. Mm -hmm. Is there a gestalt that you have, you know, some takeaway from the, what you're seeing about what's got, you know, what's going on at some high level? major trends. So yeah, like that's kind of why I'm in the position I'm in now is because all this reading and all this knowledge that have, like has given me a little bit of insight of kind of where things are, might be going in the, the community.
technology and you know broader terms in the mm-hmm. cloud native ecosystem and you know kubernetes is coming in um i don't think its domination could be ignored at this point right like yeah it's not going to knock your mainframe over tomorrow but it's here and lots of people are using it and lots of people are adopting it um and and you using that as kind of a industry standard api platform is something that's going to grow over the next year or so and i think you're going to see a lot of that happening at like kubecon you're going to talk you're going to start seeing a lot of things coming out of well we use kubernetes native x or we build crds because it's a kubernetes you know primitive um to do the thing that we do with kubernetes or on the platform itself that's going to be more of a thing now where people are going to build apps on Kubernetes or for Kubernetes use, which I think we talked a little we bit. We did, about and this was one of the show. things that I, I'm still looking for, and I'm glad you're setting me up to ask: <laughs> Is there a you know a, a soft an ISV ecosystem emerging around Kubernetes? Because I, I still am not seeing it. Right, CRDs are self-authored for the most part. Mm-hmm. Cloud people are hosting it, but we I, I still haven't seen somebody like delivering an app and say, oh, you just have to run Kubernetes and this thing, you install it in your existing cluster. Have so, you seen that? I've seen people that have said, all you need is a certified, uh, well, actually like, um, not to uh, call out any competitors or anything like that, but I mean, Anthos, they say, yeah, you can run the Anthos control plane on uh, any certified Kubernetes cluster. So mm-hmm. I think like that right there is like starting to signal like, oh, there's this standard that we can shoot for. Like there's going to be this standard set of APIs that we can now say, everybody's going to have this in their infrastructure. We can build towards that. Right. And like, okay, if you have, you know, OpenShift or GKE or AWS, AKS or Azure, you know, Kubernetes service, um, you'll have some other APIs that might be there, but you're going to have this standard set of certified Kubernetes APIs are going to be available in every organization now. The thing I worry about, though, is that there's all of these adjacencies to make an application work, right? Saying you have Kubernetes doesn't mean that you have mm-hmm. a good data storage. It doesn't mean that you have a reasonable service mesh. It doesn't mean you have, you know, ways to interact with your environment. That's true. Um, um, yeah. And that's the thing where I think people are going to come in and start adding those things, right? Like, <clears throat> you're going to have... Um, for lack of a better term, you know, you remember how we had all the productivity apps and, you know, the nineties or whatever that came along, you're going to have people that are plugging things into Kubernetes directly that are now going to be like the new data dogs, I think, potentially in the future. That's uh, that's what I, what I keep hoping. Everything I keep seeing right now is, is, you know, sort of ancillary pieces around Kubernetes, things that Mm -hmm. you would add to Kubernetes to make it work better. Um, Right. Yeah, it, it and that's where that's where it yeah. has to start, I think, for like like it always starts with utilities, it always starts with the optimization, and then it starts with like, oh, what do we build on top of this? Um hmm. so and, no no killer app for Kubernetes has surfaced for you yet? That's or is <sighs> Kubernetes the killer app? I I think Kubernetes is going to be a killer app in the idea of that like we'll reference it, you know, eventually something will come along and we'll reference it as Kubernetes, right? Like that's going to be the API thing that underlies everything that we think exists today, right? Like we'll just call it something else. 
Um, I mean, like a Xerox or, you know, Kleenex or whatever. Ah, okay. Yeah. And we'll be saying kube something and not even realize, remember what. Not even remembering that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's those APIs that we always hack away on back in the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's at least a pipe dream of mine, I hope, you know. (laughs) That makes sense. Is, do you, I mean, it feels like Kubernetes and containers more generally have really transformed the DevOps landscape. Yeah, it's. It's kind of set it on a trajectory at the very least, right? What do you mean? So what? What? Where's so it going now? It's it's going faster, is what I'm getting at, right? Like the 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 ability to iterate on a container is much easier than to iterate on a lot of the other you know DevOps primitives that exist, VMs or um, other infrastructure pieces that hmm. come along. And, and so then, infrastructure is just faster, but I mean, it's, well, yeah, you so changing you, our, our thought process behind you extract away when you start adding, you know, more of the, like you start adding a service mesh, like you mentioned, some of the monitoring tooling that you can, you know, plug into to improve that service mesh and security and everything else along the way. If you start adding on some of those things, what you get is like a set of features and you no longer have to worry about like as a programmer, or a developer, uh, what I have to do for networking or for this or for that. I just need to know that I need to have this thing available at this port at this time or this namespace kind mm. of thing. And so the service, got, service, the, yeah, micro, the, the microservice you, orientation. Right. Like you don't have to, but the, it's become standardized, right? Like having microservices has, you know, we've had them for a while. We've had containers for a while, but now we've have standard way to make containers and or at least deploy and orchestrate them and a standard way to uh, manage those APIs that are, you know, those containers are consuming. It's an interesting perspective because, you know, when I, when I think of, you know, DevOps from, you know, 10 years ago, the beginning, what I, what I think of as the beginning of the DevOps trend, although lean and, and agile and things like mm-hmm. that go much further back. But it was very configuration, right? Automated deploy focused. And what you're describing is a more restricted architectural view that, that DevOps has sort of emerged to not be as worried about that, but much more about pipelines. Is that a, f- a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem we're finding, I think, in DevOps is that we hit this point where we can throw more tools at the problem. The problem's still going to exist. Um, the culture. I was wondering if you would, if you would go into the culture piece. So, so, so so the culture piece has to happen and it's still very, very hard. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, my first customer visit on the OpenShift team, it was kind of like this dual visit. I was coming off the Ansible team onto the OpenShift team. So they're like, Oh, cool. Go talk to this one customer. They want to talk about both. Um, so I went and talked to them and like, they were just, you know, it was constant cultural issues. It's like, yes, we could do that. But, you know, we got to do this thing first and that thing first. And this, you know, these things take time and it is a very old organization. I get that. Um, but uh, the, the idea of and Kubernetes is like this definition of DevOps as a tool and where the lines can be drawn uh, on an org chart, I think are, you know, better suited to, you know, larger organizations, if that makes sense. Right. Like you have a platform team and you have an application development team and they can work more cohesively on a standard thing, which then makes a culture shift towards faster, safer operations like DevOps and Lean and Agile a little bit easier, right? Because just not everybody fighting over which hammer and which 
tape measure to use. There's now this thing we all agree, okay, we're going to write with black ink on, you know, eight and a half by 11 inch paper kind of thing, right? Like that kind of standard is now there. I think that's a really interesting way to look at the enthusiasm around Kubernetes because it is, you know, there, there is more here than the tech, right? The tech, right. tech is okay. Um, is, is that part of the, the idea here is that what we're really doing is accelerating opinionated, you know, process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, so, and even the opinionated piece, um, yes, this is a way to do containers. That is a, a yes, it's opinionated. Sure. Um, but even that, like the opinionated pieces are now becoming a little bit less opinionated and you can add on more opinionated if you desire, right? Like there's more, uh, ability in all the things that are going into, you know, main apps, V1, uh, mainline Kubernetes now. So it's accelerating to the point where it's like, oh, you know, CRDs a year ago were like, oh, is this going to be a thing? And now it's a thing. So, well, I don't think a year ago, it, it was a question of it, yes or no, but it was, you know, <laughs> now it is actually released in, you know, 116 as, you know, stable. Um, so being able to build your own APIs, you know, with four or five, six lines of, you know, YAML or, you know, a few lines of Go code or boilerplate Go code and a couple, you know, logic changes for you to make it work in your operations, I think is powerful. You're, you're reminding me of a blog post that I, I wrote and then never, <laughs> never published <laughs> sad day. Um, that, that basically talked about the power of the extensible APIs. And I'll, I'll dust it off and, and get it out there for people to, to talk through. It's, I think you're right. The thing that people don't understand about Kubernetes is the extensibility mm -hmm. component in, in the system, right? It's, it's not just, right. um, I, I'm going to bring up an OpenStack-ism and, sure. and as a difference, right? Because in OpenStack, we actually pulled away from extensibility in the, in the APIs because we put them in really early and then found people were doing all sorts of stuff that became de facto standards right. and it, it caused havoc. Mm -hmm. Can you explain why CRDs aren't going to do that? <laughs> so maybe they will and, and then I should get over it. I mean, so yes, there's going to be, I think that initial, well, I can make an API out of everything. So now everything's a CRD, right? Um, what I was, you know, I'm mean, three months ago it was something else. Uh, I forget what it was, but the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be the new dark mode or whatever, right? Like everybody's going to mm. do it. And, you know, eventually the use case will get shaken out. But what you're, what I'm finding is that the, the CRD and, you know, using operators in general, that operator pattern is incredibly powerful, especially when you like couple the fact that I can now take a helm chart turn that into a full-blown operator somehow and no, not somehow, but with the operator SDK and then, right. you know, apply a couple more layers and I could potentially have my full-blown application stack, like totally autonomous, right? Like that is like the Nirvana that people dream of is where, you know, I hit, you know, get push. And not only does my infrastructure get stood up and configured and secured and managed my application deploys to it. And it is also configured and secured and managed and everything else. But it happens in seconds and it all goes to the same pipeline and it's all nice and pretty and secure and clean and neat. Right. Like that won't, that'll take a few more years to happen. And obviously that won't happen holistically and across entire organizations, but it is now a thing that I think is more achievable than it was three years ago by a long shot. 
I, and I think it's important that it, it's come like the platform is stabilized before those patterns came in. It took actually a fair bit of time to get the mm -hmm. patterns in. I remember the CoreOS team was trying to do operators really early on, mostly as a uh, Kubernetes self-patching mechanism, yeah. which seems yeah, to yeah. have... auto-updating. Yeah, which, which seems to have uh, faded for a, a bit. Um, so I think what we're starting to see is that um, like Kubernetes has gotten so big you know, just community-wise, that there's a lot of uh, momentum behind a lot of different things. So when it starts bubbling up to release time, there's a lot of organizations that have focus in certain SIGs. That stuff gets, you know, bubbled up first. So as those, like, big things, like, start leveling out, those big pieces and components start stabilizing, you know, hit that, uh, you know, V1 state, uh, yeah. we'll start seeing more iteration on some of the, you know, the fine tuning things that aren't so like sea changing, if that makes sense. So we, we promised a Kubernetes, a KubeCon pre, you know, what you know, crystal ball for you. Yeah. Uh, I don't, that's actually a decent pun, but the, the, hmm. <laughs> hmm. what's, what's, what's in, what's in your crystal ball? Well, so I have, uh, I have, a, <laughs> I arrive Sunday afternoon and hit the ground running. I'm going immediately over to cloud native rejects, which is mm -hmm. essentially all the uh, CFPs that were rejected. Uh, they were then offered an invite uh, to, you know, put their CFP into the pool for this conference and see if they got accepted to this one. It's two days. <laughs> That's a winnowing process. All right. It's two days of conference. Well, but here's the thing they don't start their CFP process until after the KubeCon one closes. Right. And, so, and it's limited to the KubeCon, KubeCon. I think it's a really nice way to extend the yeah. conference by two days. And I looked at the, the list um, it's and it's, it's impressive. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. The tickets are pretty cheap. I, my, my understanding is, you know, like you could get, you know, good cloud native content in San Diego for, um, you know, like DevOps days prices is what my understanding was or a little bit more, I think. Um, but so that's, you know, of what I understand, it was a very well-run event in, you know, Europe, and they're bringing it here, and I'm excited about that. I don't want to get there too early. I don't want to have 11 days of KubeCon. Um, <laughs> I only had two last year, and it was exhausting. So, uh, is this, yeah. Is this on the website, guys? I'm sorry. I'm looking on the website now. Uh, Cloud Native uh, Rejects is not. Uh, it's spelled our Rejects with, like, ATS at the end. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so, so it's a separate thing, even though it's it is a separate thing. It is a okay. pre-day zero event. Uh, it, I, there's some relationship with CNCF. Uh, I don't know. It's not like an official CNCF thing, though. Um, but yeah, the so there's that. That's going to be fun. I think that'll be a lot of great content. I think there could be something cool. I, I don't know for certain. I think there could be something cool announced there, right? Who knows? Um, because this is going to be the stuff that uh, didn't quite make the KubeCon cut. And KubeCon's 12,000 people. There's a lot of stuff that gets submitted, but there's still yeah. a lot of great stuff that hits the floor. Um, then after that, I'm doing the, the new contributor workshop the next day. So I'll plug into the, you know, the new contributor community and you know, kind of help them figure out how to communicate within it. <clears throat> That'll be my you know, piece of the, the talking piece. Otherwise, it'll be hands-on help throughout the day. And like that piece is, you know, the, the community people all getting together for that, you know, contributor summit. So you've get, you get all the contributors that are there for the conference 
which is a lot of the core ones are going to be at this summit. So talking to them and just, you know, seeing what they're up to, seeing what they want to do in the future will give me a lot of insight into what's going to happen in my year next year, working in the Kubernetes community and on a product that uses Kubernetes under the hood. Um, so I'm looking so any, forward any, to that. Any, any things that you're looking out for? Any, 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 I mean, so I, I think I got Kubernetes in the community and right there are ecosystem projects so on many top of them. ecosystem projects, yeah. right? I so mean, Stephen, I would, Stephen and I did a, did a poke fun at, at landscape charts and the uh, CNCF uh, landscape chart. Yeah. Uh, is, don't, is, is don't crazy. tell CNCF I'm poking fun and I've shared it with them. They, they think know. it's kind of funny. Yeah. I'm poking fun at the landscape chart too. In one of my talks. Um, so <laughs> the, uh, it's a thing and I'm going to, right. right? like, no, I routinely do it. Right. Like I routinely do it because I show it and I'm like, I can help you navigate that, right? Like that's part of my thing. So yeah. um, it's kind of cool to be able to say that. Now I can help you navigate it in the sense that I know one good thing in every one of those blocks, you know, that <laughs> <laughs> like I can glue that together for you and make something pretty cool. Um, but yes, it's an opinion of how to manage that landscape. So like from that last year, there was a lot of, in Seattle, there was a lot of, uh, not angst, but like a lot of vigorous discussion around long-term support releases of Kubernetes. Um, as you know, right now they're quarterly releases and pretty much it's like iOS releases, right? Like we'll patch, you know, a couple of versions back. Uh, and then after that it's game over. Um, so, and I think it's a couple of versions, like literally two versions. So you don't get a year's worth of Kubernetes like belt or release time under your belt, uh, you know, right out of the gate. So having that long-term release will help that, but how do you build a long-term release project, right? Like that is a very kind of, you know, corporate function, right? <laughs> like Red Hat did it successfully and made a business of it. How do you do that in an OpenShift world or OpenShift, uh, open source world and, uh, yeah. you know, not have it be too, you know, too hard to get into, right? Like, there is a high bar right now. I just recorded a podcast with another community member and we getting into the Kubernetes community. It takes a lot to get going and you kind of have to pick a corner or two or three and work within those. You can't really know the whole thing right now inside and out. It's really large. Um, right. And then all the people involved in it, you'd have to you know, like interact with those people. It's a, it's a large social graph right now. Um, so like, Having an idea of what LTS is going to look like going forward, um, that's going to be good. Having an idea of, you know, there's a lot of people that are looking to move within the graduation process, you know, so or not move the, you know, progression of graduation, uh, you know, more instantiation around getting into the sandbox and better standards around going from incubation to sandbox to, you know, higher levels of, or from sandbox to incubation to graduation. Um, but I, figuring I those pieces out, I think are important too, because it again is leading to that standard creation, right? So ironing that out and figuring out like how open or closed that might be, like what that, you know, bandwidth do, do all these be. projects together create a platform or do they create a jigsaw? I mean, it's, it's not even a jigsaw puzzle. It's a, it's, you know, do you need those? You don't, you don't need all those things to do Kubernetes. There's a ton of yeah. stuff that's like nice so, to have. Or, so what it, the landscape is, you know, that's a bunch of different projects that work with cloud native, you know, premises and 
mm -hmm. theory and principles. Kubernetes itself is a bunch of SIGs, special interest groups, building a bunch of APIs and, you know, managing all the communities and infrastructure and everything else that come with that. So having all of these uh, SIGs managing all these different processes, APIs and releases and having multiple streams, like just managing that in and of itself is potentially, uh, you know, a business, you know, someone's thesis waiting to happen. Um, but figuring out how that then turns into like actual released code for the next year really, 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 really helps people figure out where the industry is going to go because you then know where those standards are going to start first. And that's where people are probably going to go first to start building things. Well, I can, I can see the standards. I guess I'm thinking of, you know, a, and a development platform. That's, and that's oh, one of the things well, that's yeah. sort, of, mean, sort of missing from here is like, all right, if you I need, knew. If you what, need like that yeah. developer experience, like Kubernetes is just going to get you the infrastructure piece, right? Like you've got to plug some stuff into it to get a good developer experience. And that's why you right. see uh, Microsoft coming out with their uh, Visual Studio Online. Uh, Red Hat, we have, you know, uh, cloud-ready workspaces or code-ready workspaces. Um, and then there's another one that's, you know, a big, uh, oh, GitLab, they have their IDE um, right. that they're kind of, you know, tinkering with into the cloud. Um, and they're all very good tools and they all work pretty well as you know IDEs but you're you're starting to see these you know developer experience things becoming enterprise tools well why wouldn't that be an open source tool too right so someone's going to come along and figure out how to build a business on developer experience on kubernetes and do it cheaply. Well, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be open source from that perspective right i'm i'm mm -mm. you know there's a part of me you know i haven't tried to look at who's going to be on the floor and what the what the vendor situation is and Steven you and I can sit down and we can do do that as a talk and, and find a, find another guest for that yeah um, but you know I'm, I'm really curious to think through are the people on that floor you know like a GitLab who's trying to offer you know a sort of a development story package or a mm -hmm. you know a new relic or somebody like that who's looking at it from a you know a dev stack I know like OpenShift or Pivotal have a very developer friendly you know mm -hmm. developer focused you know we use Java we build things up all sorts of tools for that. Once again, all those are very developer ecosystems. I'll be curious to see if we see like uh, Snowflake show up there with a with a big thing, or Rook, the team that builds Rook, which is the Ceph uh, mm -hmm. deployment. Yeah, you know, if those are starting to show up as adjacencies that depend on Kubernetes, um, I think we're going to learn something from that. Yeah. So if you look at all the Day Zero events that are happening for KubeCon, you see this like long list. Of day zero events but if you look at them they're all sponsored by a company and that company has a cloud native product that is probably on that landscape so there's already a business forming around just having kubernetes um now how do you extend beyond that like you're talking about like what's the killer app for kubernetes we're getting there right like we have to bolt all these other things onto it to really kind of get to you know cloud native nirvana <laughs> if that makes sense, right? So, you know, it, just having the Kubernetes APIs, that's great. You can run a lot of containers with that, but you're not going to be able to do a lot of monitoring. You're not going to be able to do much in regard of, uh, you know, like streaming of events or anything like that. So you can't really get the full benefit of moving at that cloud native velocity with just Kubernetes by itself. Yeah. 
so Chris, I have two questions for you before we wrap up. The first one is serious. The second one is a bit silly. But on the serious one, any talks that you've seen that you would say, you know, these are the ones that are kind of can't miss talks that you think. Oh, Lord. Um, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't even gotten that far into the, my planning yet. I am at okay. uh, Monday afternoon right now <laughs> as far as like solid plans for talks and everything else. Okay. The talk stuff I have to plug in last, sadly, due to work and uh, CNCF ambassador obligations. Um, so uh, Maybe I know. Maybe you could tweet out some I, of the sessions. I will definitely think about okay. like. Yeah, I will tweet out. It'll, like, be, it'll be in the Telegram channel, of course. Right. So, like, maybe that's something I should put in my newsletter for this Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, last week I put in a bunch of things like uh, what party events and stuff like that. This week I can put in, hey, talks I'm actually going to. Ooh, I need to go to the party yeah. the party calendar. Yeah. But that would be good. Well, and then on my unserious side is, uh, you know, we're, report back to us on the, uh, I guess, Rob as well. On the good swag. I mean, everyone's gone overboard with socks. <laughs> no, so I don't like, even wear my own. All my socks now are event socks. And, yeah, yeah, like all my socks are event socks too. I've gotten like so fed up with swag. Unless it's like an amazing like thing I'm actually going to use every day, I'm not going to take it anymore, right? Like it's like it's got to be. People are, people are way low on the swag. That's true. I, like, it's interesting. It's kind of you're, gone away. you're throwing you're throwing the stuff in the landfill at this point, right? And what there are some events that would take the money that people spent instead of swags and would donate it so, to something uh, in the city or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. what there was a company in Raleigh that does it for all things open, and I don't. It's not Pendo, and maybe it was Pendo. Um, I think they do that. All Things Open is a big conference there in Raleigh. They mm -hmm. sponsor a booth there, and they're like, "We're not doing cards, or we'll give out little cards that basically say." You know, instead of, you know, giving you something that you'll likely throw away, we instead have donated money to XYZ to charity. And I think that I think that's better would be better. In my opinion, I would rather see the vendors that spend all this money on this booth and want to have all this market activation. I got an idea. Sponsor more diversity scholarships. If you do that, that's a good idea. You would grow your brand a lot better than you would ever do it by giving somebody a T-shirt. Well, I have a t-shirt for t-shirts now ridiculous, right? That's yeah. like all they want to do is swipe and the people there don't even understand their product. They're there just to scan. And what's the point? I mean, I, mm. I don't get it. Well, all right. I mean, that's why I work in marketing now is because I'm trying to make that better for everybody. So <laughs> calm down. Well, I think those are take great it, ideas. Take it down a notch. <laughs> if you do see something, you know, next level, you know, Rob as well. I'll, I'll definitely report back there. if I see something next level. I always you'll you'll definitely see it on Twitter at the very least. Yeah, we, well, I watch, we, I watch we will, all that. We will be doing that. And yeah, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll see you at the show, I hope, within mm -hmm. the 12,000 um, hallway track. Yeah, it's all the way. I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I will likely see you, maybe. That's for <laughs> Well, enjoy, enjoy San Diego, both of you. I'm sure the weather will be great because San Diego is perfect weather. And uh, eating there is tremendous, so I will be jealous. Well, I but, can't wait. Uh, I've never been. Yeah, it's very exciting. Well, Chris, thanks again for uh, joining and reaching out to us and to our listeners. We hope this was useful. And if you attend KubeCon and you want to talk to us about what you found out, what you learned, and want to be part of a post-KubeCon podcast, you know, reach out to myself or Rob. We'd love to have you on. And we'll have, we can even have multiple people on as well to get different opinions. So you thanks again, Chris. Table. And Thank yeah, you. it's always good to have a roundtable. And we look forward to talking to you again soon.